you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. This is Alan Griffith, your host for episode 49 of By the Book. You know, the branding, if you will, of this podcast is basically this that if you don't see the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. And that is no more true uh, in any other area than it is true in the things that we're talking about in this current series. Now, if you've been with us and listening to the last few episodes, uh, I congratulate you for your patience. Uh, We have been working in a direction, and the direction is to understand ourselves as human beings, because many, many people don't really understand who they are or what they are or how they function. And so we started with going to the scriptures, and we talked about the Bible being the Word of God, and the reason that's important is because it's the Bible that we're going to go to to understand what we are. Now, we live in a day where there's counselors and there's psychologists and there's psychiatrists and philosophers and and all that you can imagine out there. And people are running to them and trying to get help from them. But listen, uh, many of those folks, most of those folks don't have the slightest idea what we are as human beings and how we function. And so their views and opinions and whatever may be helpful in some ways, but they are never going to get you to truth. And I talk to too many people today in counseling settings who are so confused. Uh, They are so defeated. Uh, Their personal life is a wreck. Marriage is a wreck. Family is a wreck. And it basically all comes back to understanding, well, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? And so we we talked about the Bible, and then we talked about God because God is revealed in the Scripture, and it is God who tells us about creation and what he has done and where we as human beings fit in. And so we talked about God being a divine spirit. He is eternal and so on. We talked to another realm about another realm of creation, and that's the angelicos. We talked about angels, the the fallen and the unfallen, and we talked about Satan. And let me tell you, that is a world that is operating every single day, and you and I are affected by it, and uh, the nations are affected by it. So that's, that's a realm of existence. And then we talked about animals and somewhat about ourselves as human beings, but we talked about animals. And the fact Uh, that the animal is alive for a short period of time, and then when it dies or it is killed, its existence is over. Some people don't like to hear that, but that's truth. And then we come to us, human beings, also created by God and unique, different than all other creatures that God made. We alone are made in the image and likeness of God. And whereas the angels are spirit beings, as we said, they have no body and soul, uh, animals 
uh, have a body and soul, but they have no eternality. They don't live beyond their existence on this earth. When you kill the body, you kill the soul. The animal uh, exists no more. But then there's human beings. And again, God created us to be unique, to be very, very special. Again, no other being created in the image and likeness of God. And so we need to understand how we function. We need to understand the nature of our life. Uh, Most people certainly don't understand it, but here's the truth, and I hope you know this listening, but if not, let me assure you that your existence doesn't end when you die physically. The eternal God has given you a human spirit, and you are going to exist somewhere forever. You're going to exist somewhere forever. For a time, you will not have your body. You, you're going to die, and your body's going to be put into the ground, but you will exist. And when you die, you'll either go to heaven or hell. And then the time will come when there will be a, a final judgment. God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and those who come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ will live on that new earth and will live forever. Now, you can't believe that or have any concept of that truth and then go ahead and destroy human life and give little thought to its value. When I think of what has happened in this country with regard to abortion and the phony idea that a woman has a right to her own body, when in fact the child within her is not her body, it's an individual person, and she just takes it upon herself with some medical assistance or now just take a pill, kills that that baby. I want to tell you, there's going to be answering for that. But again, people have lost sight of who we are and why we exist. So I want to talk to you uh, about what you are and what God expects of us. And at the close of our last episode, I was really aiming at uh, talking about uh, the soul in this episode. We're going to get to that. But I, I want to back up a little bit, at least in my own thinking, and go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. It's a very powerful statement, a very challenging statement. And here's what it says. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure if I made reference to this verse in an earlier episode or not, but I want to talk about it a little bit here because the the character of God and the attributes of God are often made known, not in a list as we do in theological books, God is this, 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 but God manifests himself usually in a a context of, of discussion or revelation. And that's what happens here, although we find this truth elsewhere. But in verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, and the very God of peace. The God of peace. Now, you know, you can have peace uh, with God, and that happens when you get saved. 
Uh, we are described in the Bible as the enemies of God. People are the enemies of God uh, until they get saved. And I don't think many people who are unsaved view themselves as enemies of God. Some do. Some hate God. They hate everything that God stands for. But there are many, many religious people in the world, and they would think, well, I'm not an enemy of God. Until you come to God and are reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ, you are counted as an enemy of God. So you need to have peace with God. You have to be reconciled to God. But then there's also the peace of God. What is described, and we'll be looking at it at some point in this series, uh, what is described as the peace that passeth understanding. What a wonderful concept that somebody can have peace, and it's, it's so wonderful. Uh, they don't understand it. They can't even grasp it. Uh, they don't know why they have it, because everything circumstantially in their life should be taking that peace away from them. They should be miserable or afraid or in turmoil or angry or whatever it might be. And yet this peace of God comes upon them, a peace that passes understanding. Well, here, God is described in this verse as the God of peace. He's the God who can bring you to him, where you can have peace with him through Christ, but also he is the God who can give you peace within your own being. You know, peace is a term that means uh, joined together. You can understand that if you've had difficulty with another person and finally you are joined together, things get settled, and now there's peace. Uh, again, we, we are separated from God, but when we get saved, we are brought together with him and we have peace. Well, you see, there's a sense also within us where we can be divided within our own being, again, with fear and confusion and turmoil and whatever. But when we get ourselves together, when every aspect of our being is functioning right, body, soul, and spirit, we can have peace within. And the reason that's so important is because I deal with so many people who have no peace. And humanly, you might understand why. When I see people living the life that they're living, I can understand why they don't have any peace. But God says that he is the God of peace. And so Paul says in this verse, <clears throat> his desire, an expression of his longing for these people, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Sanctify is a term that means to, to set apart. Uh, it is rooted in the concept of holiness. Uh, same root term, sanctify and holy. He says, I want you to be set apart to God in holiness. The idea of holiness is, is purity. It's separation from the wrong things. It's separation from sinful things. And he says, I, I want you to be set apart to God wholly in the text. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. That's what he wants. Well, you know, that's what you and I need. We need peace. 
So Paul goes on and then he identifies the makeup of a human being. And again, this is something the world doesn't understand. The world thinks that we're all animals, that we have evolved and and all of that confusing mess and foolishness. We have not evolved. We were created. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were created by the hand of God, and we are the result of the procreation that came from them and then all that has followed them. If we could trace our uh, line back, somehow we could get all the way back to Adam and Eve. We're human beings. We're not animals. Uh, People have been told they're animals so long that they now act like animals. There's no regard for each other. There's no regard for God. Uh, There's no purpose in life. They think they're just an animal, going to be here for whatever it is, 60, 70 years. They're going to die, be put in the ground. That's it. It's all over. No way. No, that's not true at all. We're not animals. We're human beings. Again, I'll emphasize unique creations of God made in the image of God. And I want to tell you that God puts tremendous value on human life. The whole idea of government, as God started it back in Genesis 9, was for the protection of human life. And what God did in establishing government was to say this, if a person kills another person, takes that life, then the community, the society, not only has a right, but a responsibility to take the life of the murderer. Why? Why? because the murderer is ignoring the fact that this one that he or she killed was uniquely made in the image and likeness of God. That's the value that God puts on human life. So we're not animals. We are unique. And as Paul goes on, here's what he says. He says, and I pray God, I'm asking God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless means that nobody can point the finger at you and, in a sense, use you as their excuse for rejecting God. That's the broadest concept that I can give you, but that's the idea. And he said, I want you to be blameless. I don't want somebody to be able to point the finger at you and, again, use you as their reason to reject Christ. But he talks about our whole person. And our whole person is described in this way. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Uh, We may have talked last time about the fact that sometimes we are identified in Scripture, as a soul, sometimes we are described as having a soul because there's a, a soulish aspect to our entire being. But you have a spirit. And again, that's what gives you uh, eternality. Uh, that's what makes you different from the animals. Animals don't have a spirit. You do. You have a soul. That is your being. 
and it functions. We're going to talk about that. But you have a spirit, and that is what is going to make your soul, your total person, eternal. You are going to exist forever. Now, I want to take some time in this session before we finally get to soul. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the human spirit. Uh, God created it. God gave it to us. Uh, It's clearly distinguished from the soul. Uh, The human spirit is immaterial, not physical. It is invisible. You can't see it. It is the deepest functioning part of our being. Some have described the body as giving us world consciousness. And I think that's a good description. Uh, We have the senses that put us in connection with the world around us. We can see, we can hear, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch. Now, if you took all that away and you had a a body laying there and and none of that was functioning, well, that, that individual would have absolutely no awareness of the world around him. So that's the functioning of the body. We'll say more about that to be sure. It has been said that the soul gives us self-consciousness. We are aware of our inner being, and we're going to talk about the aspects of our inner being, our mind and our will and our emotions and our conscience. We're going to get into that, and that's, again, where we're trying to get to ultimately in this series. But then we have uh, the human spirit, and I think it has been properly described as that which gives us a God consciousness. Our communion with God, our fellowship with God, our relationship with God, even though it is affected by my mind and my will and so on, and certainly affected by my body, what I do and, and such, But that communication, that communion with God, is primarily through the human spirit. I want to turn to uh, John chapter 3. You might be familiar with this incredible experience of a man named Nicodemus and his conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read to you a part of it. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, this is John 3, beginning in verse 1, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Very perceptive on the part of Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is an amazing experience because the Lord Jesus is talking to this religious leader, and he is telling him how to get right with God. So here was a religious leader, a teacher really should have been a teacher of the scriptures. He was a Pharisee. He should have loved the Old Testament. I assume he did. 
but he had no real knowledge of how to get right with God. He was wrapped up in the system of the law. And so the Lord Jesus takes a very common human experience, birth. Everybody knows what it is to be born. You can look back to your birth date. That's the day I was born. Well, the Lord Jesus said this, I say unto thee that except unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's quite a statement. And Nicodemus did not understand it. And a lot of people today wouldn't understand it without explanation. You say, well, I've been born. What else can I do? And the Lord said, well, you have to be born a second time. So verse 4, rightfully so, I suppose. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? And I could ask that question. I'm 77 years old. Well, how can I be born again? What are you talking about? I don't know how old Nicodemus was. But he, he asked this question. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, I couldn't. My mom has been in heaven for a long time. So how can somebody be born again? We know what birth is. And then here's the Lord Jesus goes on. He extends the challenge. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water. Now listen, that is not baptism. There are churches that try to teach, oh, that's baptism. You have to be born of water. You have to be baptized to be saved. That is not at all what the Lord Jesus is talking about. He has been illustrating this relationship with God by birth, and he's still talking about the physical birth, the human birth, when he says you have to be born of water. And if you know the birth process, the, the woman has the water, as it were, that bursts to give lubrication so the child can more easily be born through the birth canal. So the Lord Jesus is talking about that first birth. He said, well, you know, a man has to be born of water. That's the first birth. That has to happen. But then he says, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, he also has to be born of the Spirit. And that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. So here is a second birth, born of the Spirit. And the Lord Jesus said, unless that happens, a man will never enter into the kingdom of God. Now, to put this in a historical context, and it, it needs to be done because a lot of times people preach this or teach this and they, they miss the historical context. Jesus Christ had come with the promise of a kingdom. His message and the message of John the Baptist was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And sometimes that's rendered the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message. The Lord Jesus came as the Messiah to Israel, and he came offering them the kingdom, an earthly kingdom. And even with that in mind, here's what he said to Nicodemus. Except a man be born of water, you got to have a physical birth, and you have to be born of the Spirit, and unless that happens, you cannot enter into this kingdom that I am intending to set up. 
So that was the message for the day. That was the historical context. Now, the Lord Jesus, as you know, was rejected, put on the cross, crucified, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, promising that he will come back. He will come back at what we commonly call the rapture, and then he will come back to the earth to set up that kingdom that he offered at his first coming. And interestingly enough, if you read the scriptures, you will find that when that day comes, nobody will enter that kingdom unless they have been born again. So let's go on. Verse 6, we're aiming at something here. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh produces flesh. Then he said this, and that which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spirit, the human spirit. So as we talk about man, talk about us, talk about what we are and how we function, I want you to understand that this being saved, being born again, is a work of the Holy Spirit that is a work on the human spirit, the gift of eternal life. Now, the human spirit is going to exist forever, and it is a matter of where it's going to exist. The Bible describes us as being spiritually dead. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a little spirit inside of you that's, uh, you know, laying down because it's dead. That's not the idea. You have a human spirit. It exists in a person, whether they're saved or unsaved. But the human spirit that has not experienced the new birth is separated from God. It's not right with God. It is a spirit, but it is dead, dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says, because we are separated from God. And here's the thing. If you die physically and your human spirit is still separated from God, you have not had that new birth, then you don't go to heaven. You don't go into the presence of God. You go into hell. So when somebody gets saved, they are born again. It is the work of the Holy Spirit giving life, eternal life, to the human spirit, and that in turn gives eternality and eternal life to the total being. You must be born again. And then it's interesting that Romans 8 and verse 16 makes this statement. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children, that term children means the born ones of God. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit gives us eternal life. It is the gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we are born again, we get this gift of eternal life. The human spirit now has eternality, but it's not just to exist forever. It is to exist ultimately in the presence of God, and then ultimately, too, in the total person on that new earth, and we will be there forever. So the human spirit. Now, we are told in John chapter 4, and I think we made reference to this in a previous discussion, maybe on God a few weeks ago, that God is spirit, and that we who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, when we worship God, uh, there are times when we need to be involved physically. We go to church, and we should, and you ought to be in church. If you're not in a church, get in a good church. And we can worship God from the standpoint of our soul. There is emotion, there are decisions, and so on. But you know, our worship must be deeper than that. Our worship must be our communion with God from the level of our human spirit, the deepest part of our being. That's where we worship God. So there's more to say about the Spirit, and I'm going to pick up next time and, and kind of close out on our discussion of the human spirit. Uh, then I want to talk about the body. That's important. And then I want to talk about the soul and how we function. And especially next time, I'm going to, if I remember at least, I'm going to give some attention to how we get saved because there's a lot of confusion about that today. And I'm just going to say this as we close out this particular podcast. This current teaching, it was around for a while. Now it seems to be coming back, especially with TV ads and so on. This teaching that to get saved, you ask Jesus to come into your heart is a weak and failing instruction when it comes to what salvation is. Hope you'll be back for the next episode.